think about the cross often. I think it is something that we need to keep in our forefront of our mind uh, on an everyday basis because of what he has done for us. Well, um, Teresa McDonald has not been here for a while. She's not been well, and uh, she wrote a letter, and she's here today. We're very thankful. She says to the members, um, thank you for all your prayers to heal me. The Lord taught me to have faith, trust, and believe. The Lord is the doctor, Jesus the healer, and the Holy Spirit is my, the guard of my mind, heart, and soul. Without all three and my faith, I know I would not be well. Thank you, Teresa McDonald. So if you've prayed for her, we truly appreciate that. And I want to encourage you to pray for one another. There are many that are going through different things that you may not even know about. There are things that you um, can't understand maybe, but people need your prayers. Some are just sick. We have a couple that I know that are not feeling well today. And so just continue to pray for one another and think about that. So let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the wondrous cross. Thank you so much for the fact that we can look back at that and see exactly what you've done. Thank you so much for your word that lays that out openly for us. Thank you so much that you've brought Teresa back to us today. Pray that you continue to help her as she goes through this process of healing. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in her life and in the lives of the people around us. Father, if there's one person here today that does not know you as personal Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Father, if there's any that doubt, if there's any that are struggling with this, if there's any that are uh, just maybe going through the motions of, of church, Father, I pray that today would be the major change of their life and that they would realize what they need. They need you. And Father, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that your will would be accomplished in it. Thank you so much for dying on the cross. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your Bibles with me and go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I have a question as per usual. Raise your hands if this is you. How many of you like routine? Raise your hand if you like routine. Don't be shy. How many of you like routine? Okay. Good. Most hands went up. Most human beings love routine. While there are some of us that are more spontaneous than others, right? Here's looking at all you spontaneity people. And there are others that are super OCD. That's me, okay? We still like our routines. Again, there's different ends of the spectrum, but we all like our routines. There are very few nomads in the world today, right? Probably all of you go home to the same house every single day, right? Anybody not? They just kind of bouncing around? <laughs> and some, some may, but most of us go home to the same home every night. We love the same bed. I was talking to Pastor Harrison last week, and he said the first night, doesn't matter how comfortable the bed is at all, the first night in that bed I struggled to sleep. So I started doing the math. Thursday night he stayed in a different bed. Friday night, he stayed in a different bed. Saturday night, he stayed in a different bed. That man didn't sleep all weekend long. We love, even if it's just that small, if it's just that minute, we love routine. We love being in routine. We go to the same restaurants. We like to sleep in the same bed. We order the same coffee or the same pizza. We drive the same way to work every day. We pretty well do the same thing day in and day out. We like our routines, and that's okay. I'm not preaching against routines today necessarily. But when we break out of routine, 
breaking out of routine, doing something different, doing something out of the norm. We don't necessarily like that. That's not overly appealing to us. Change is hard. Change is hard. Change is not something that we often jump up and volunteer for, is it? Sometimes it's hard. We tend to be resistant to change, again, to varying degrees. But for the most part, we tend to be resistant. Our story today, though, is a story of change. And I love change. And if I, we've said this multiple times here at Bible Baptist, change is one of the greatest words in a Christian's life. We're constantly looking to change, to be better. But this story today is huge change, major change, and immediate change. But just like human beings in 2023, the human beings in the 30s, not the 1930s, A.D. 30, okay? In the 30s, they were not much different than we are today. Human beings have not really changed all that much. For hundreds of years, there was only one way of doing things. There was only one way of serving God. There was only one way of pleasing God, and that was through the keeping of the law. First five books of the Bible tell us all about the law. But then there was a man sent from heaven. His name was Jesus. He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And obviously the people that liked their routine, that were in on the routine, that were walking through and had done this really for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they liked God's law. They were not exactly enthralled that Jesus was there. Jesus was saying things like, you don't need that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. And they did not enjoy that. So they, in an effort to hold on to their routines and in an effort to maintain the status quo, what did they do? They decided to eliminate the threat. It was their goal to eliminate Jesus, the person who was disrupting their routine. Little did they know that Jesus was to die for their sins. For their sins. And truthfully, for the sins of the entire world. So obviously this is all done. Jesus had died. These people who wanted to stick to their routines, they had been victorious. They had put away this troublemaker. He is now dead. But Peter is still alive. And Peter wants to talk to these people. Peter has a few words to say to these, Peter, and if we, to these people. And if we know Peter, Peter's the loud. He's the boisterous. He's the one who is out front most times. And so he has something extremely important to tell them. Something that will lead them to incredible, immediate change, to which they are resistant. I want to read this entire passage, so you'll have to bear with me. It's Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. If you, have a, if you don't have a Bible, either lean over and look on with somebody else, or download an app, or get an app. We're using the King James Version. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says this. But Peter... Standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. 
and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on mine handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken... And by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Why? Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, That of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heaven, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. What we have just read there is a sermon spoken by Peter, the Apostle Peter. He has something important to tell them that will bring them to immediate, incredible change. And so I want to break down this message this morning. I want to preach someone else's message. Not something I do very often, but it's in the Bible, so I think it's okay to do. But I want to break this down and I want to give you five statements that will lead you to change. Five statements that will lead you to change. Number one, we don't believe major change is necessary. We don't believe major change is necessary. Most of you, when you sit here and think, are you thinking, I need a major life change? Again, maybe some, but very few. And again, usually it's dependent upon circumstances in our lives. We don't really know uh, whether we need to make a major change or small minute changes. We don't really know. But the reality is most of us don't believe that major change is necessary. As already alluded to, we like our routines. 
and we see no need of changing them. We like the way we live. We like even our vices. We like our habits. Oh, we may, again, see the need for minor incremental change, but major change we don't need to necessarily do. In fact, most of us are so defiant about change that we will make any excuse for ourselves so that we don't have to make change. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look, look with me in verse 12. I want to, again, contextually, we talked about this two weeks ago. But here the reality is the Holy Spirit of God comes down upon the 12 apostles. And they are speaking in tongues. Again, tongues being, uh, so for instance, Chinese. Or in the, he lists in, in the verse 9 all the way through, lists the different tongues that are being represented. The different languages that are being represented. And they're just speaking them as if they've known them their whole life. That was the power of the Spirit. And so they begin to look at this. And verse 12 says, and they were all amazed and were, what, in doubt. In doubt. Ah, something funny's going on here. Saying one to another, what meaneth this? What's going on here? What is all this about? Look at verse 13. Others mocking said this, these men are full of new wine. Ah, these guys, you don't even listen to them. They're a bunch of drunks. They don't even know what's going on. There's something fishy going on here. And let's be honest with ourselves this morning. Most of us believe that if we see something going on, if the Lord convicts us about something, we will make any excuse possible not to make that change. We will rationalize anything. What does this mean? What is that guy saying? He must be drunk. He's not really with it today. There's a revival going on down in Kentucky. It's awesome. You know what? If it's the Spirit of God, it will show forth. But I'm just going to be honest with you. In my flesh, I'm like, whatever. They don't know what's going on. I mean, they, they're not a Baptist church, so they surely can't have revival, right? But I'm, I'm very skeptical of those things. And again, I'm not trying to say whether it's good or bad. Time will truly tell. And I hope it is true revival. But what I'm trying to say is we don't think we need change. We see it going on over there and we try to make excuse after excuse after excuse as to why it's not happening here. Why it's not happening inside our hearts. Well, we don't need to make any major change. In 2023, this is how we describe it. Those guys are too conservative. Or those guys are too liberal. That's not the Holy Spirit working. That's a show. Those are just old, antiquated beliefs. That's something they did in the olden days. We're far more advanced now. This book, it's old. We don't like this book. It's full of old ideas and so on and so forth. And here's the reality. We just make up all kinds of excuses why we don't need change. Because truthfully, we believe that major change is not necessary. I'm good. I'm happy where I'm at. Number two, I want you to see this. The Bible is true and accurate. Let me say it again. Number two, the Bible is true and accurate. I want you to notice verse 16 to 21. We're not going to read them again. But verses 16 to 21 of Acts chapter 2, Peter is quoting from the book of Joel. 
Joel is a prophet. Specifically, he's quoting from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And truthfully, it's almost a direct quote. But the prophet Joel, I want you to understand this, the prophet Joel wrote those words at least 500 years prior. At least. Some say even 800 to 1,000 years prior to when Peter says this. So I want you to understand, he's saying this is not some show, guys. This is not some uh, uh, just drunken men speaking in a funny language. This is the Holy Spirit of God working. This was prophesied, gentlemen, ladies, 500 years prior in the prophet Joel. I want you to understand, the Bible is true and accurate. Even if it was five, six, seven hundred years prior, the Bible is true and accurate. Here's the reality. The Bible speaks of a place called hell. That's true and accurate. All the way through the Bible, it speaks of hell. Even here, notice verse 27 of Acts chapter 2. He says this, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This is David speaking. So he's used Joel 500 years earlier, and David even before him. So he's using these old, antiquated beliefs and saying, listen guys, this is the truth. He quotes from Psalm 1610, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Here's what he's getting at. Guys, there is a place of coming judgment. Hell is a real, hell is a terrible place. A place where the flame never ceases to burn. Where the worms do not die. The Bible is true and accurate. There is a place of judgment. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46 will be on your screen there. The Bible says this, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into life eternal. There is a hell. The Bible also says that your sins will be discovered. Numbers 32 and verse 23, the Bible says this, but if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Luke chapter 12 and verse 2, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Here's the reality, and Peter's trying to get them to see. Listen, guys, you can try to hide from it. You can try to go on living in sin, but it will be found out. It will be. This is not just some old thing that's going on. Listen, this is something real. This is something special that God is doing, and he's trying to keep you out of hell. Sin will result in living in eternal damnation in hell. It will. The Bible is true and accurate. Whether we want to believe it or not, I want you to look at verse 21. This is the good news of all this. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's just went through all the bad news in the book of Joel. Talked about hell through David and he says this. If you'll just believe on the name of the Son of God. If you'll believe in the name of Jesus. If you will believe and call on his name. You shall be saved. 
Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to change you from that condition of sin that's going to send you into eternal damnation. Guess what? You don't have to stay in that condition. You can change. You can be changed. So number two, the Bible is true and accurate. Number three, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to understand contextually. These people did not think that he was the son of God. They thought he's just some crazy guy that keeps blaspheming, keeps calling himself God, keeps doing these crazy things. But Peter's trying to get them to realize Jesus is the son of God. Look at verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. By miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. As ye yourselves also know. Guys, you know it. You know that God is real. You know that this Jesus was from God. And then jump down to verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assurity that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both what? Lord and Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was not just some ordinary man. Jesus was not just a good prophet. Jesus was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. By the way, Peter's not the only one who knows this. Guess who else knows it? The demons know it. The demons know it. Go to, uh, you can see it on your screen, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. And behold, they, being the demons, cried out, saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Oh, they knew that they have a time coming, and they knew who he was. Jesus is the Son of God. Not only did the demons know it, the disciples knew it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, the Bible says, Then they that were with him, that were in the ship, came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. The disciples knew it. But not only did the demons and the disciples know it, even the soldier, the centurion, knew it. Matthew 27, verse 54. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying what? Truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Number four, it was my sin that put him on the cross. It was my sin that put him on the cross. The Son of God, it was my sin that put him there. Go to Acts chapter 2, look at verse 23. Notice the phrasing here. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and notice this, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So I want you to picture uh, I'm Peter today, and you guys are all those other people. He's sticking his bony finger in your face, and he says, you are the ones who killed him. And it's easy for us in 2023 to sit here at Bible Baptist Church and think, yeah, you bunch of losers, you shouldn't have done that. 
But here's the reality. We like to excuse things like this as soon as it pops up. We like to say things like this. Well, I wasn't there. I didn't do that. I didn't place Jesus on the cross. I wasn't the one beating him. I wasn't the one mocking him. It's not my fault. But when we talk like that, we forget the real reason why Jesus was crucified to begin with. It wasn't because he was bringing in some different thing, some different change. It wasn't because the Jews disliked him. Hear me, it was because our sin debt needed to be paid. That's the reason he went to the cross. You see it on your screen, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 6. Watch the words here. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried what? Our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, verse 5. But he was wounded for what? Our transgressions. He was bruised for what? Our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of what? Us all. It was my sin that put him on the cross. We are responsible, hear me, we are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you and me. It was my sin that placed him there. I am responsible. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, the Bible says this, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. That's Peter writing that. Peter just got done saying it's your fault and in another instance he says, yeah, it's my fault too. I did it. Listen, it's no one else's doing. Jesus died for my sin. He died for your sin. There's a song called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Second verse says this, it was my sin that held him there. Wasn't the nails, wasn't the cross, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath hath bought me life. I know that it is finished. Hear me, Jesus died so that we can live. Jesus died so that we could live. I put him there. Number five, Jesus rose and is alive today. Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today. Notice Acts chapter 2, look at verse 24. Verse 23 says, Wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God, notice, hath raised up and having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. All the way to verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we all are witnesses. See, there were many witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
They saw him. They saw who he was. He is alive. Matthew 28 and verse 6, again on your screen. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. I've been there. He's not there. There's no body in that tomb. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever, what, liveth to make intercession for them. Bible tells us that he's seated at the right hand of God. He is alive today. He is with us forevermore. He's making intercession for us. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He rose from the grave. He conquered our sin. He died for our sin. The sin of us was placed upon him. He died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered our sin. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He is the victor. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 34 with me. The Bible says this, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. God is the complete victor. Jesus has conquered everything. There is no more. Uh, he's the ultimate victor. There's no more enemy. He just wants to change you. He's conquered Satan. And someday he's going to throw Satan into the bottomless pit. And he's going to leave him there. And listen, he has conquered. And he wants to change you. He wants to pass you from death unto life. He wants to make you alive. Verse 37. Now... When they heard this message. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay, Pastor Yeomans, you've given me the five statements that are going to lead me to change. Now what am I supposed to do? Verse 38. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you today. Do you need to repent? Will you allow Jesus to make a change in your life? Will you come to him? Most of us don't think, oh no, no, we're good. No, 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 I've done enough good works. I, I've done this or that. Or you fill in the blank of the excuses that you want to make. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Will you come to Jesus today? Will you step out of your routine and recognize that he is your Savior, the only Savior? I want to challenge you, don't make any more excuses. Step up. Come to him today. Today is the day of salvation. I'm going to ask you to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed.